You're listening to the Legendarium Blue Team. You have chosen wisely. Please go to patreon.com slash legendarium to support the show. Hey friends, the good news is we had a really good time recording this episode of Grave Peril. The bad news is there there are some audio issues, so there is popping throughout. The good news is that uh, Todd gets all level three on boobs, so I think you should listen anyway. Have fun. Welcome to the Legendarium. We are the blue team. My name is Todd Wenty. I am your host for this episode, and we are going to be addressing Grave Peril. Finally. Book, <laughs> <laughs> Book three in the Dresden Files, and uh, obviously somebody's been looking forward to this an awful lot. I've had to renew my... The I got it from the library, and I've had to renew it twice. And she's been antsy and ever I'm, since. And I'm sure that somewhere along the line, they looked at you and they said... This is not allowed. You're not allowed to renew books, right? I'm pretty sure what they actually said was, nobody else wants to read it, so enjoy. (laughs) And I did. And I'm sure you did. I'm sorry, were you going to insult me? Go ahead. Uh, No, you know what? I don't have any insults today. I am am going to experiment with turning over a new leaf and being a kinder, gentler podcast. It's not going to last. It's Mm. not going to last. Um, you know us. We are the blue team. I'm Todd Wenty, Megan Smythe, and Ken. Uh, I can't remember your last name. Ken Johnson. 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 I have to think of Johnson Party Central in order to make sure that I can. Remember You've only known name. him ten years. That's not nearly I long know, enough. I know it's just one of those things that happens on a late Sunday night when my brain is a little bit fried. <laughs> well, and and for difficulty's sake, in the new year, we are recording this bird box style. Y- yes, yes. I have no idea what Ken looks like right now, and I hope. Hope that he is still wearing a shirt. Um, so with uh, no further ado, let's just talk housekeeping really quickly. Since most of you that have been with us for a long time know all the housekeeping stuff, engage with us on Reddit, engage with us on Facebook, find us on Twitter. You're more than welcome to 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 scour the Internet and try and find ways to stalk us in other ways. We'd love to see you. We'd love to engage with you. Uh, we'll make that work and support us on Patreon. We really appreciate your support. Um, you have made, uh, those of you that support us on Patreon, you have made these podcasts better, uh, better equipment, better opportunity. You have just made this a wonderful experience for you. So thanks very much for that. Uh, I think you should mention that we just won a, an award. Oh, oh I? yeah. We, as a matter of fact, we did. As a major, as a matter it's a major of fact, award. We, uh, this, the stabby award, as I recall. The yes? Reddit, yeah, the, the Reddit, uh, or the fantasy subreddit, uh, the 2018 stabby awards. Uh, we won for best, best, best related podcast. That's I think what, what they were really looking for was related work, but in our case, a podcast, I, in this case, a podcast, I think what they were really saying is, wow, somebody that puts so much of their spare time into this, we need to make them feel good about themselves somehow. This is, is this a participation trophy? I don't know. No, it, I don't well, know. <laughs> it, it, it's a, it's a popularity contest because really, I mean, without our redditors, Honestly, we, I mean, we cannot win because it requires votes from Reddit supporters to win, and we win because we get more. And so, it's a big thank you to our community. And I think uh, that's that's in spite of the fact that we, at some point, actually sent out and said, "Hey, if you like us, vote for us." And then they started watching us very closely. I think <laughs> afterwards, yeah. uh, quite entertaining. But either that, or we were getting so far ahead that everybody else was sending out those notifications to to their followers, and it still didn't do them any good. Let's so. go with that one. 
Yeah, that yeah. Let's it. go with that one. Long story short, we won. Then there we will have probably you to thank be for pictures of someone getting stabbed somewhere along the line. I volunteer um, to stab Craig we'll, with we'll the stabby. S- we'll see how this works out. <laughs> Um, this is episode 210. Uh, just in case I forget to mention it at the end of the episode, want to make sure you kind of know where we're going for our next several episodes. Uh, 200, 211, the next one that's coming up, that will be the red team. They will be finishing off the Robin Hobbs series. Um, Assassin's uh, Quest, the Farseer series. The Farseer's, Farseer series yeah. by... By Robin Hobbs. By Robin Hobbs. Okay, there we go, there we go. Um, obviously that's not the ones I'm reading. I can barely stay on top of my own reading. Um, episode, uh, 212 will be the truth. Um, that is our, that is our next foray into the world of Terry Pratchett and yep. Discworld. And then 213 is New Spring. 213 is New Spring with uh, Red Team again. With the Red Team again. And so, I might show up for that one because I was with them for the Wheel of Time series. So, so uh, you, you, won't, you won't be hearing from us for a couple of weeks. Till mid uh, But. One more work. Yeah. But. Episode 214. <laughs> Dune. Uh, those of you that have been looking forward to Dune, like I have been looking forward to doing the, doing, giving Dune the Legendarium treatment. Um, it's coming up very quickly. Only, only a short while to wait and we're going to be diving into that. So look forward to more information on that. We'll post some, uh, we'll post some things on Reddit about that so that you know a little bit about how we're going to be handling that, uh, as we get a little bit closer, but just recognize if you're a, if you're a sci-fi fan, if you're a Frank Herbert fan, if you are, if, if you are one of those people that have been saying in order for them to be credible in my mind, they have to do Dune, we're going to finally hit that button. So look forward to that. It'll be good. With that said, let's go ahead and dig into Grave Peril. Now, before Megan explodes, Ken and Megan, you both had read this before. So this is your second time through Grave Peril. Yes. 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 Okay. And this was my first time going through it. And I have to admit, we we were just getting into the really good parts. And then we stopped because we were getting into Christmas. We did Hogfather. We did some other stuff. And so it took me a little while to relaunch this and kind of figure out where I was at again. But I got to tell you, once I once I got back into it, um, I kind of found reasons to stay in my car and mm-hmm. listen to it much longer <laughs> so that no one would list, interrupt me. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a, quite a quite a bit of a page turner, a little bit more, uh, at least in my opinion, it had a little bit it had a little bit more of a of a movement to it than either of the first two. The first two kind of moved, but they were they were they were set pieces and let's move those set pieces and let's see where it goes. This one was. We're going to take you on a ride, and it just flew. Yep. Yeah. Well, and there's a huge sense of urgency in this one because he's really, I mean, he's afraid to sleep, and everybody that he knows is in danger. And so I I don't want to do any spoilers because I'm I hoping that Kent has a recap. I was going to say, would you like to know what it's about? Let's yes. go for it. All right. So question, have either of you ever loved so strongly that you were willing to start a war over a person? No. Yes. Well, then you are Harry Dresden, and you are not clearly Harry Blackstone Copperfield Dresden. Fine. You stole the joke, Todd. <laughs> Gosh. Some people, we're going to talk about that. I'm sure we All will. right. Business is booming for Chicago's very own professional wizard. Something has riled up the spirits around the Windy City, and Harry is going ghost busting, along with the help of a full-on bona fide, lawful good, faith-radiating, badass paladin, complete with awesome name sword. I love that. He would object to your language. Uh, you, you should see Ken's face right now. If you can't hear it I through this, he has the biggest grin on his face. so much. All right. So while Harry and Michael cross over to the Never Never and drop the magical equivalent of a positron glider, nerd reference, look it up. 
Bianca's vampires show back up to invite Harry to a vampire party as a representative of the White Council. It basically makes Harry an offer he can't refuse, and Bianca is Marlon Brando with way less jowls and way more bosom. And Susan tags along, so that's sure to turn out well. Turns out, the shade of a demon that Harry and Michael dispatched earlier has stuck around and is wearing a brand new Harry suit to engage in some good old revengey ultraviolence. Harry makes another magic deal with his fairy godmother, gets Michael's plus five badass holy sword of righteousness repossessed, and Susan gets herself taken down the road to Vampireville. But you don't mess with a very pregnant wife of a holy knight with a white council wizard buddy and expect that to end well. It's been said a million times. I don't have to say it again. So, long story short... Things work out. We've got some stuff to talk about. Questions, though. Who's going to be more pissed at Harry? The Red Court of Vampires or the White Council for him starting a war? How did Harry and Michael meet? I'm curious. Who the heck is Elaine? She's mentioned once. I want to know. How disappointed are you in the sheer lack of Murphy in this book? And seriously, how freaking badass is Michael? (laughs) So cool. Okay, that's enough of that. But as Harry would say, behold, the power of words. Let's discuss. Well, certainly we can guess who uh, Ken's man crush would be in this particular deal. Yeah. But I'm with him. But I'm, I'm totally with you because the, the, the pictures that I have in my head of, of Michael being this humble kind of unassuming uh, guy, uh, guy next door. Uh, the, they keep talking about him wearing his denim jacket with a, with a Sherpa lining or the, the fuzzy lining. Yeah. Um, I, I, I keep picturing one of the guys that I went through high school with, who's kind of the same kind of guy, uh, just a, a, a good gee whiz, nice guy, kind of a look on his face, but my goodness, could he kick ass? Um, <laughs> I had a friend like that too, and he'd always wear an overcoat and he was a big old guy and he, yeah, nobody wanted to mess with him, but Kind of fun. Kind he, of fun. I are we going to talk about Michael first? Then, shall we? I mean, let's go ahead. Let's we, launch it. We're here. We're fanboying. We might as well. But uh, I just I love paladin type characters. That's it's a it's a personal kind of a draw for me because it's not it's not talked about enough in fantasy and science fiction literature, especially today where it's all about the antihero and the mm-hmm. moral ambiguity and the gray areas and and oh you know from a certain point of view anything can be anything and stuff and michael is straight down the middle what he believes these are my convictions and they are firm and i will not deviate from that and it is pure unadulterated righteousness for the sake of righteousness you know what i mean and it's good and refreshing i mean you know obviously you don't want every character to be like that but it's refreshing to have one mm-hmm. once in a while that shows you not necessarily how everything should be, especially not from everybody's perspective, but, but gives you the idea that, that goodness actually has power. There is power in being good or in following a a righteous code. I love that. I, one of the things I really appreciate about Michael is that he, he's kind of a, a father figure, cool uncle figure, older brother figure that Harry really needs somebody who, understands the whole occult thing that's going on and is willing to get his back and be right there with him in a way that Murphy and the rest of the police people are not able to be either because, you know, they just don't have the skills. They don't have the cool swords. Um, And they also, you know, have a, have a little bit of incredulity. So they're, they're in it, but it's still um, not really their forte. They're regular yeah. cops. The world of magic is happening around them. It's not happening yeah. to them, and they are not part of it. 
And so yeah. as a result, they don't engage it the same way that Michael does. Um, Michael, I think, and and perhaps from a from a writing standpoint, as we were reading or as I was listening um, and as we've been going through this, I one of the things that I got a feel for is that Jim Butcher as a writer is expanding some things. We'll talk about this a little bit more with the world building. But one of the things that I think he's doing beautifully with Michael that maybe he was trying to do with Murphy, but but it didn't work out or it's not being pursued in quite the same direction is that. Michael becomes a perfect foil for Harry. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're both good guys, so we recognize that. But the way that they approach the idea of being a good guy is completely opposite. For Harry, it's everything is open for negotiation. It's all about a negotiation as long as we get to the as long as we get to the end where good things happen. And with Michael, you have to do it not only the right thing, but you have to do it the right way. And that foil makes them very interesting characters, especially to stay together. Yeah. Um, well, and in that way, I really appreciate that they don't have kind of an introduction and, oh, who's this guy? Oh, I'm Michael. What's happening? You know, we don't have to go through all of that awkward meetingness. We really just get to know them when they have this fully formed partnership. They've been working together for several weeks already or months. Um, mm-hmm. And they... They know each other. They know how each other works. And so they're able to really work together. Well, and Michael's family knows Harry. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Charity's not really a fan of Michael. Which is always, that was always fun every time she shows up. But I that's one thing I've liked through three books now, and I'm sure it just continues, is that Butcher writes these things as, this. it's just understood. These have always been there. Don't expect me to explain it to you. Don't expect the exposition. Just roll with it. Yeah. yeah. And it'll and you'll catch up as it goes along. We I, get, I like that. We I get some too. hints. We get some hints. Of, um, and, and it sounds like there are probably some things that are going to be uh, revealed along the way about how they've worked together. But we're not really. We, and, in, and in fact, the, the expectation is that you're never going to really get it. And mm-hmm. that's OK, because the way that Butcher handles it. He, he makes he makes you very comfortable, at least for me, he makes you very comfortable with the idea, this is another character we're inserting, don't worry about why, just kind of accept it. Yeah, just roll. Just roll with it. I like that. I like that. I do too. I, I will say this. There are two things about, before we leave the subject of Michael and move on to some other ones, there are two things about Michael that are absolutely fascinating to me. Um, and I guess part of that is because um, Michael, as a as a person of faith, in this world of magic, um, is is uh, Harry is constantly noticing that his faith has a form of power that is that is very similar to magic that can do very similar kinds of things. And as a as a person of as a person who tries to be a person of faith myself, um, I found that so refreshing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, there is, there is a, a, and, and I'm not going to go into an awful lot, but there are several moments throughout the book where Harry talks about, and he does it with father Fordhill as well. Um, talking about the fact that their faith carries a tremendous amount of power, not necessarily that he agrees or that he disagrees, not, not saying anything about the rightness or wrongness of it, but the fact that they have such powerful faith, um, that it carries some, that it carries significant power. Um, and of course, when we're dealing with vampires, that becomes really important. I'm sure we'll get to that in just a little bit if we've got enough time. Well, yeah. and it, it shows he, he does a, a good job of presenting uh, 
faith magic. He calls it faith magic, yeah. but also the very real dark side of this magical realm. I mean, when Mavra shows up and the black court and those are the vampires that everybody thinks about when they, when think, they think vampires, vampires. you know, speaking yeah. of which, um, this is one of my favorite quotes from the book. Um, and again, this is, this is, it's early on in the book when, when Michael and Harry are talking about trying to find Lydia and Michael's trying to describe the, the spell that he, that he pulled off of, uh, detective, I can't remember his name, Marconi, uh, not Marconi, not Marconi. Uh, Malone, Malone, yes, detective Malone. Um, and he says, there is such a thing as evil, Harry, in spite of what many people say. Just remember, there's good, too. I cleared my throat, uncomfortable. Murphy put out the word on folks, because he, he doesn't want to talk. Murphy put out the word, of, the word of the folks in blue, so if one of her friends uh, sees the girl matching Lydia's description, we'll hear about it. Outstanding, said Michael. You see, Harry, this detour of yours helps to help Detective Malone is going to help us a great deal. Isn't this a very positive coincidence? Yeah, Michael, divine fortune, yada, yada, call me. Don't yada, yada the Lord, Harry. It's disrespectful. God go with you. And he hung up. Um, th that, that level of genuineness yeah. that he's imbued Michael with, that, that, that uh, Jim Butcher imbues Michael with, is just so refreshing against Harry's very cynical, uh, very sarcastic kind of persona. Uh, and it made for a nice read. Well, it's nice yeah. that Michael gets to be unapologetic about it, where, I mean, Harry is very unapologetically, well, I don't know, yeah, but he's, you know, very cynical. And so, and apparently that's allowed. But sometimes I feel, you know, in talking about religion, like people just kind of roll their eyes and, oh, Megan, stop talking. But if it's <laughs> important to you or to me, like we should be able to get to talk about it. And so I'm really glad that Michael feels like he can, do that with Harry, although he'll probably do that with anyone. That just seems like his probably thing. will. But probably. It, it, yeah. but it's a nice dichotomy. The two of them, the the cynic and the man of of faith, you and know? they accept each other and for the, who they are, yeah. and they appreciate that about each other. Well, and they're both they're both very much legitimized by each other and legitimized by what they can do. It's not like a one of them is look. This is yeah. He's he's righteous, and yeah, he yeah. has power, but not really. Or or by the same token, Harry's. He, he dabbles with this. They both acknowledge both of them have very real and very useful power that can be used for good. And Harry really yeah. is good. Very different, right. but very complimentary. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So Ken, in your, in your, uh, uh, summary, you, you, you said, was anybody else irritated that we got so little of Murphy in yes. this book? Sounds like you were a little irritated with that. I won't say irritated. I a little, I just went, huh. I, it's not something I remembered the last time I read. This is my second read through. And I think the first time I was just kind of getting my feet and everything. And this time, I mean, she shows up, she's, she calls on Harry cause she needs help with Malone who all of these people have helped out Harry before. So he's again, you know, one of the, one of the general de genuine defining qualities of Harry is he's loyal to the people yeah. mm -hmm. who are loyal to him. So he's mm -hmm. like, I, I gotta go. And after he helps helps Malone, I mean that's the last we see of her. She she goes and she goes well, after to sleep. She's attacked by yeah she's yeah. A, she's attacked. She goes to sleep. We're done seeing Murphy the rest of the book. But what a magnificent scene! Oh yeah, it's oh. fantastic. Because when with the scene where and I guess you know if you're if you're reading the if you're listening to this, hopefully you've read the book. We're not giving too much away. Uh, but his description of her as she bursts into Malone's bedroom when she hears all of the commotion going on. 
and Harry still has his sight open, and he sees Murphy mm -hmm. as an avenging angel. Yes. What a wonderful moment, and what a... At least for me, it feels like it's a little bit of foreshadowing of some things that we might be seeing as we continue down through this this rabbit hole that is the world of the Dresden file. I hope so. He didn't find out. <laughs> that was a little creepy. I feel it, like we've waited a long time just to read this book, and I don't know when we're going to read the next one, so I guess we have to wait. I'm going to read the next one as soon as I can, but you know, <laughs> we might not talk about it until, I mean, you know, for a bit, but... Yeah, I but think yeah, I, I think I, Murphy. I missed. I did miss her. It was because she's one of those. You know, they've been building up a world. The first two books, she was very much a part of it, and then all of a sudden, in the third book, you have this new character of Michael, and there's no, you know. So I'm I'm curious to see if they'd be able to inhabit um, a space or a story together, or if she's just not really needed. I, I didn't really see her as being needed in this particular story, where it really did dabble so much in the occult. It's not like Harry could have taken her to. Um, Bianca's house. It's not like she could have done much if she had showed up there, mm -hmm. right. you know, trying to save anybody. Um, just would have been another damsel for him to save at some point. And um, which really would have rankled on Murphy. Yeah. Oh yeah. Which yeah. is part of her charm is that she she don't need nobody to save her. She's yeah. she's perfectly capable and well, yeah, she, but she would have been you know so it. out of her depth in that situation. Yeah. yeah. Um, one of the things that I think is really interesting is that, um, and Megan, you mentioned this, that, that there's a sense of urgency about this book because it's, it's all about not falling. There, there's this theme of mm -hmm. not falling asleep because mm -hmm. the nightmare can inhabit what you do. I'm not sure I'm right, but it seems like this whole book takes place in three or four days. That's what Am it I felt right? like. Probably. Is it, is it like three or four days? Most of the rest of the books that we've been reading have taken... A couple of weeks mm -hmm. yeah. for for those for the same things to develop and to move through. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the things that I was fascinated about this, and I don't know if you, I don't know if this was something that jumped out to you guys, uh, but the amount of of uh, exhaustion that he would that Jim Butcher was talking about Harry being imbued with as he uses his magic and how difficult it can be to re to re uh, restore his ability to pull on his magic powers when he needs it. I mean, obviously the demon gets involved and, and steals a good yeah. portion of his, of his magical reserves, if you will. Um, but, but going through the process of using elemental magic uh, versus the, the spells and the different kinds of, or versus the uh, potions and different things that he mm -hmm. works on with Bob, um, it, it, he really did a wonderful job of, of talking about the toll that that takes on Harry in a physical sense. Did you catch that or was that something that just kind of, yeah, it was on your consciousness, but it, it didn't, it didn't necessarily hit you that way. No, I, I caught it. And, uh, uh, along that same line, I, it, it was the emotional toll that it takes on him because he mentions a, a couple times, just the fact that he's, he's lost a part of his magic really is a part of him. Mm -hmm. And, and to have, we'll say half, we don't know exactly how much, but half of the magic gone, and and to his perception, unrecoverable. It's gone. It's been stolen. He feels incomplete. Well, and it's been right. stolen by his enemy, who is now using it against. Yes, him. and that could you imagine how? Which is just horrifying. And, and he could to feel, hurt people, people right? that he They're, loves, bothers him, and also using his likeness yes. to hurt people. Um, what I think is interesting about this story, kind of along those same lines. Is that, I mean, first of all, Harry, he's thinking it's the demons, so they're mostly okay during the daytime, but it's at night that he's 
he's really worried about everybody. So he's working really hard. And then at night, you know, he works until he does whatever he needs to. And he sleeps for a couple of hours. But then it comes to the point where he realizes that it's in every it's in the dreams. And so he can't sleep and he's lost a chunk of his powers. And I don't know about you guys, but when I'm sick, everything else that I'm dealing with seems so much harder. Yeah. Yeah. And Harry here, he's he's missing half his power. He's you know, and it just everything seems so much harder and he has all this responsibility and he's not about to let it go. And yeah, I, I can only imagine what a kind of toll that that would take on a person. And he's got all of this added responsibility of knowing that Charity's in the hospital and now Susan has disappeared and just all of these things that he feels are his fault that may or may not necessarily be, but he's definitely put that on him. Well, and in reality, a lot of them are his fault, I think. Yes. Harry, Harry certainly puts himself in a situation where he inadvertently causes his own trouble, uh, or some, at least a good portion of his own trouble, as do most of the rest of us poor mortal human sure. beings, right? Exactly. Um, well, and, and most of it's because he's he's so quick to save the day that he doesn't stop to think, oh, wait, um, his his uh, fairy godmother shows back up and he yeah. tries to he, he tries to make another bargain with her. And then at the end of that bargain, he tries to use Amaracus to oh my gosh. break that bargain. And instead, what does he do? He loses the sword. He, he, yeah, he breaks the, the power of the sword and, and allows, almost allows the um, the black court, Mavra, to completely unmake it. To completely unmake this righteous tool yeah. you know, or this tool of righteousness and almost slaughter, you know, by killing an innocent or spilling innocent blood, which starts the war between the white court and the and the the red council you know and a lot of it really is i mean it's it's can i just say though like this is all very stressful stuff going on and yet every once in a while i'd sit there and i think remember how he's dressed as an old school vampire (laughs) so how he's dressed as like (laughs) you know grandpa from the munsters that was one of the that was one of the moments that that in the book made me just like oh that is so macabre the the powder blue tuxedo <laughs> and the face paint and the cheap the cheap uh, imitation fangs with a little bit of makeup blood makeup drooling blood, yeah. down the side. Oh my gosh! And and uh, and how it just irks Bianca. She's like, oh, well, it would goodness. irk me. Somebody showed up looking like a really weird version of me. So Dolly Parton. Uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> but we we get a we get a glimpse into just how irreverent Mm -hmm. and how much Harry is willing to poke the bear. Uh, That's the phrase we use at our house when we're talking about, about uh, pimping out a fight, just how much he's willing to poke the bear in in any of these situations. Um, Were there other, other moments, other, other scenes in the book that you said to yourself, um, you know, yeah, this was one that either stood out to me or definitely made me think to myself, you know what? Uh, either either about Jim Butcher's writing or about the characters that he's been writing that just jumped out at you and stayed with you? Um, one, I, the imagery of the barbed wire wrapped around a, oh, a soul, yeah. whether it's a ghost or whether it's um, Malone laying in the bed and you have Harry who is trying, I mean, he's had to open his third sight in order to see it and just almost pukes because it's so hideous. Um, and I just... The idea of being tortured in such a way, like it's bad enough when it's physical, but when it's mental, I'm, I really hope that they come back to Malone at some point and let us know how he's doing, like what kind of scars he may have suffered. Mm. But that's such a hideous visual 
that I'll, I will be thinking. Oh, yeah. I, just, I just, I love the, the image of him prying it off and then throwing it out the window and setting it on fire. Well, and, and the toll that it takes on Harry uh-huh. doing it, which shows you this is not some run of the mill. This isn't some, some weekend sorcerer or some guy with a, a, a lycanthrope belt. It's, it's yeah. uh you know, this is a real bona fide wizard. You this know. is deep, dark, black magic. Yeah. Um, yeah. being used to destroy. Harry does a wonderful job. Uh, Jim Butcher does a wonderful job of, of, of casting Harry as a wizard, um, as one who has the wit. Um, but that the idea being that magic is always about protecting life, that it comes from mm-hmm. life and it's about protecting life. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, he certainly is not afraid to show us that that evil that Michael references can work its own kind of magic, and it is a very different kind of magic. Yeah. yeah. Fascinating stuff. Kim, uh, what about you? I actually, um, one of the notes I wrote down early in the book was that I like the way that Jim Butcher blends uh, a style of romance into this style of, of um, witty noir kind of of uh what mystery detective novel you know crime fighter type story Uh, the the writing that he has between susan and and harry is is fantastic i their relationship is sweet in their own little messed up way but but it it, but it's a sweet relationship you know and you you kind of pull for them and you can tell that they really have true feelings for each other Mm -hmm. and Darn it! If that doesn't just get messed up all to pieces, we'll come back to that. We'll come I back know. to that. But it, but but the writing, he he does a good job of mixing genres, and and it's good. It's it's the mark of a good author who can do that successfully, and and make you either not recognize it at all, which is probably what you're shooting for, or recognize that it was that it, what you have been writing reading has been a good blend of of the two genres of of two genres. It doesn't have to be romance and mystery can be whatever but i will say i got really annoyed every well you know every time a character shows up whether it's a character we know or a character we don't he describes what this person looks like and what they're wearing and i didn't notice it so much in the previous two novels but man he talks about women's breasts a lot i'm gonna come and back. i just got so tired of it and i was I'm, like what i'm gonna i'm gonna and come I, back to that it was one of those I things think where i'm thinking reason. about talking about it with you guys and i'm like do men really think about it this much and i honestly don't want to know so i'm gonna i'm gonna come back to this but but i'm gonna come back to it in a little bit later because i i think there's a reason for it um i have Ugh. not had the opportunity to talk to jim butcher on the phone but i but i think i think i know why he did that so much in this novel all right because there's i mean there's a lot of amore and sex and all of those feelings going on in this book you know with all of the vampire saliva and everything else going around <laughs> talk <laughs> um, about swap and spit that's gotta be a that's but that's i just got to the point where i was like someplace. like every time a woman would show up i'm like just gonna skim does he talk about their no okay good all right not gonna be annoyed reading this part that's and, nice. and yet he's probably going to do it again a little bit later on. probably yeah but i'll have read some dune by then so maybe it will cleanse the palate <laughs> so uh any other scenes though that you can think of that you were that you just were astounded with that you that you really enjoyed um oh i don't know if i can say i enjoyed it but i was rather horrified by like i was very engrossed in the whole scene in the graveyard 
with Charity and the mm. demon, like pregnant Charity getting oh yeah, like bounce about, and Harry oh. have to like throw himself over her to make sure that she's protected, and she's still getting injured. And I'm just the whole time I was just, I know too many pregnant women to not be yeah. horrified by that. Yeah, but it was like at the same time it was a really cool, like it was it was a very cool detail to put in there where instead of um, attacking Michael, the the nightmare went after what would be even more devastating for Michael, which was his wife and yes. his children. Yeah. Yeah. A really, a, a really powerful statement. And, and again, I think that that feeds into a piece that I want to talk about a little bit later. Okay. Um, there were a couple of, of scenes that for me um, were, were really fun scenes. Um, and, and, I'm not sure that I'm not sure that Jim Butcher put them in as writing exercises for himself or if they were if, if they were pieces that needed to be added in in the way that they were. But but the scenes themselves were, at least for me, as I'm as I'm reading them and listening to them and as I'm thinking about how they would be structured, they would make great cinema. Um, one of them was their flight through the never never mm -hmm. when they were trying to get to. Uh, the basement of Bianca's house oh, to yeah. try and save yeah, yeah. Susan and uh, Julie. Justine. 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 Thank you. Yeah. Not doing so good with names tonight. Um, it's one of those. There's it's one of those things that happen. I wrote right? them down. I have a little key. Thank you. I should be better. New about characters. That. Um, that that scene where they are moving from place to place and they get to uh, the and they get to the land of fairy with mm -hmm. everything looking like a beautiful park and then Harry looks at and Harry stops and says to Bob, "We're in fairy." Well, of course we're going to be in fairy. If you're going to be in the never, never, you're going to have to cross into fairy at some point. You know, this very matter of fact, he's like, you don't understand, Bob. Bob, you're the worst. Yeah. <laughs> um, that that scene and trying to race to the bridge and um, trying to trying to get to a place where they're going to be okay, and then the 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 trick that they pull by scattering out nails, but they're all aluminum. Mm -hmm. um, what a you know again. I think that 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 kind of scene. Uh, were it to play out in a in a in a film, mm -hmm. uh, would be at least as it was playing out in my head, looked really cool, wonderful writing, um, and some wonderful thoughtfulness about the way that the never never works differently than the real world. Yeah. Um, the other one that I found, well, one of the other ones, um, I got one more for you afterwards. Uh, was the was the the vision of Harry fighting against his nemesis. Um, not the demon, but the man who summoned the demon. Mm -hmm. um, the ghost of the man who summoned the demon. The ghost of the man who summoned the demon. Who summoned the demon. Um, but using his own ghost to do it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what a what a what a fun twist. Uh, I, I I've been I've been reading books for a long time. It's rare that somebody comes up with something and it's completely out of the blue and I didn't see that one coming. I still don't understand how it works, but I don't really that care. That was one that I didn't see coming. <laughs> and so but but it was but it was so much in fact as uh, as as the ghost Harry was disappearing, he says, "Oh, you're going." He says, "Well, you you did what you needed to do. That's kind of what happens with a ghost when you're not needed yeah. anymore, yep. you're gone and then he's gone." He does a good job of making it making it work anyway, even though it's like, "Wow, I did not see that coming." Well, yeah, yeah. Can I say though the the whole I printed it out just because I thought it was so I don't know it's visceral but he he's talking about how you know he's defeating the the ghost of the other of the other wizard and he's you know eating this ghost like his yeah. ghost is eating or while well, he is 
eating this and he's just going into like how visceral it is and I worried and I chewed and you know all that stuff and I'm thinking remember when he was a werewolf his true self his true like form this just is yeah. never this is always going to be a problem for him where I think and so. I mean part of it was I'm sure he really after all that this being had put him and his friends through he totally deserved it and Harry wanted to get his powers back but it was just such a terrible moment where he um he says, I ate them all up, and as I did, I felt power, surety, confidence all rushing back into me. My stolen magic came raging back into me, filling me like silver lightning, a tingling, almost painful rush as I took back what was mine, but I didn't stop there. And he just keeps going. He's like, oh, Harry, don't lose yourself. Please <laughs> yeah. don't lose yourself in there. I'm this glad is... that his ghost comes back and kind of helps guide him back to being a decent human being again, but oh, it was tough. it's really cool. Well, and that Ken, lead, you said you had another that scene. leads into the re well, yeah, I do, but the, uh, this one it leads into the the scene where he burns down the house, uh huh, yeah. by taking all that magic and just in a fit of uh, desperation, of of anger, of of you know fear, just lets it all go. And all the we, ghosts. We get a chance to see. Holy cow, this guy really does have... I mean, everybody for three books has been telling us he's got power. This is power. Yeah, he's He really does have a bunch of it. Harry has a... Harry's a, as a member of the White Council. Um, Harry has a responsibility. I'm not going to say with great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> I'm not going to say that. You just did. But it does. But it does. Um, but, but he also, we, we get a, we get a glimpse in this book of just what it means and perhaps just what he's already sacrificed of himself in order to get the power that he needs. Um, his, we, we, we find out as we're reading through the book that part of the way that he got the power to be able to defend himself, to be able to work these high magics was through his bargain with his godmother. Um, and, and this, I, I, I'm very sure that this is going to be something that is going to come back and haunt him oh, sure. on a regular basis. Well, and yeah. the fairy godmother connection with him started with his mother, yes. which I would also like to know more about. That's part of the ongoing story. But apparently there was a connection beforehand. She said, you were mine, your mother, like you're mine because of your mother and also because of you. And he's like, well, not right now. And it's interesting that, like, he doesn't necessarily want, she doesn't want his soul, she wants him. So if he's dead, he's no good to her. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Fairies don't want, uh, demons want souls. Yeah. Fairies want blood. They want the person. Um, there's a, Remember how fairies aren't like in Disney movies? Yeah. yeah. How are, really in most of the stories, they're like the evil tricksters and, yeah, and people you don't want to. In fact, he says yeah. there are two There are two kinds of fairies. Sometimes you get the little pixie tinkerbells uh, fly, flying around and making all things nice. But most of the time you get yeah. the other ones. And that's what Bibbidi a fairy bobby yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. Nice. I like that. Exactly. Um, I I think also that uh, one of the things that we get a we get a clue and we get this twice. We get it twice. Once when he burns down the the courtyard mm -hmm. where the where this where the 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 vampire court is being held to see Bianca ascend in power, um, and he and he burns it down, regardless of all of the people that are there and sees them 
burning alive in some cases, the vampires, and in some cases, perhaps people. The innocent people. Um, and so he's he's um, connected to this, and yes, there is a price to be paid for that. And some of that is his own confidence in himself and his feeling of his own connectedness to the magic. But it's also very obvious that it takes a toll, and yet he bounces back from it, and he does it again. When he burns mm -hmm. down the house and when he animates the spirits, and lets them wreak havoc on. And I kept wondering to myself, you know what? There's got to be, there's a loophole here. Something tells me when we get into the into the conversation between the, the White Council and the Red Court that there's a loophole here that somebody didn't close or closed a little too tight or something. I, I'm anxious to see how that particular piece of the puzzle well, resolves. Yeah, especially since they had kind of a, what, a lawyer there? Just kind of to observe. A witness. Bianca brought a in witness. a witness. A witness. Yeah, a witness. From the... And a dragon. That bodes badly. And a dragon. <laughs> yeah. Dragon. Holy well, cow. I, th I, th <laughs> I think there is... I, th I think there is quite a bit more to that particular part of the story uh, that is that is eligible to come. What do you guys think of, uh, of Jim Butcher's world building? He's not really building our world, but he is building the world that lives in contact uh, or in in uh, in concert with our world what do you think of it so you're thinking world building or world blending uh, a little bit of both a little bit of both perhaps uh i quite enjoy it you were talking earlier about michael and how he kind of just seems to be this you know, well i guess with everybody they just they're regular people they're just kind of you know living amongst all of us and you just wouldn't know unless you really got to know them but i i think we all kind of know that that guy or girl who's you know that really straight laced person just such a sweetheart but oh and that, then that's you. it's all this unexpected oh well thank you yeah. <laughs> i wasn't trying to make that compliment happen um but you know who has that kind of i don't know i don't know what i'm trying to say somebody else say things. it's it's, world the, building. it's the world building underneath the world that's existing well, and he's I, doing I a really sounds, good job of making it believable in like our real world. Yes, I could see these yes. things happening. Yes, and and I love that the the depth that he is creating now. I mean, we've got we're seeing more and more pieces that are putting the world together. The first uh, the first book we saw vampires and and a couple of demons. Then we saw a couple of werewolves, and now we're seeing structure. We're seeing the vampires are part of not just one court, but there are three courts at least, mm -hmm. you know, there's the red court, which are malicious and petty and, and seek power. There are, there's the white court, which see seeks, you know, glamor and prestige. And then there's the black court. And those guys are the nasty, yeah. the, the nasty death. vampires. Yeah. And, and then there's this, there's this whole, there are the three knights of the cross that are these holy knights with the holy swords that go out fighting these black, uh, black court members and, you know, others of that ilk, there's the white council, there's all there. Are, I, I'm, I'm running out of pieces. I mean, there are more that he's, he's starting to put more and more depth underneath what we've already seen. I love it. I love seeing where this is going and seeing how all of these pieces mesh together. And I like seeing the new characters. Thomas is hilarious. Yes, he is. In his own way. Yeah, he's, <laughs> yeah, I, he's hilarious, but I'm still like, oh, I. The scene, the scene at the but end. But also we know those people who just know how good looking they are. Right. Yeah, oh, we yeah. all, we, yeah, we know them. Yeah, uh, none of them are yeah. in this room. And they. <laughs> that is, <laughs> no comment. True. 
Um, yeah, and they come and they come from power, and they can do whatever they want because they're always yeah. better in every way than you are. But you know what the the thing that I liked about it is that the the and and Megan, you talked about it from the standpoint of world blending. Um, he is building a very convincing mm -hmm. magical world that coexists with our mundane world, if you will. But not only does it coexist, the individuals within that magical world have figured out how to manipulate the real world mm -hmm. to suit their magical purposes. Bianca and the fact that she has uh, politicians, police chiefs, the fire, the, the fire marshal comes in and then immediately goes out and says, you know what? There's nothing to see here. It just kind of fell apart on its own. Yeah. It's like, come on. Yeah. This is, you know, we, 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 we sometimes see this or we sometimes insinuate this in other kinds of ways. Some books that are, that are government conspiracies talk about the same kind of thing, but it's government that does it. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm reminded of, uh, I'm reminded of the, um, a, a, a series that I've been looking at and that I've been reading that is all about secret organizations within the government that have that kind of power to convince people to stop doing whatever it is that they're doing because they're in over their heads and they just need to walk away. Yeah. Um, he's, he's done a wonderful job of building these two worlds in such a way that the points where they connect are either points that you overlook a little bit, mm -hmm. like Harry Dresden, Chicago's only practicing wizard, or Bianca and her court, where she pulls all kinds of all kinds of strings in the mundane world in order to keep everybody away from seeing into her magical world that she is amassing and growing much bigger as the time goes on. Yeah. Um, I want to do one thing really fast, um, and this is where I want to go back to talking about uh all of the all of the boobs and legs that he was talking about <laughs> as this as this book progresses um we don't talk about these things very often i'm curious i'm excited i'm i'm glad um <laughs> you're excited about boobs and legs i don't know he, i just want to see I what, think what todd has to say i about think it. she's interested to find out if i actually and never mind We're i feel very much the only girl right now yeah right <laughs> um so um on a level one uh, these books read fast, they mm -hmm. read well, and they are, they, they can be a real delight, especially if you happen to be a person who likes Mickey Spillane mixed with a little bit of sword and sorcery. These, the, the Dresden Files books are great for that kind of a situation. On a level two, um, where we start talking about some of the social pieces that, that revolve around that, we get some, we get some, some hints. There's a little bit of, there's a little bit of sprinkling of spice uh, into these spice. Oh yeah. I just, uh, I just did some, some foreshadowing for Dune. We'll deal with that later. Um, but he, he doesn't really spend an awful lot of time with the level two stuff, talking about social problems and how they need to be solved and some of those kinds of things. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to interrupt. You're, you're going to go level three with the boobs and legs. I am. Okay. <laughs> Here we go. I'm interested to see how this goes. <laughs> and for me, oh. it was beautiful and it was painful, and it was sad, and it was magnificent all at the same time. We see at the very beginning of this book, um, Lydia throwing herself out and, and saying, oh, well, you know, what you want in, you know, what you're expecting me to deliver is sex. We see his, his passionate night with Susan, and we, we get a moment where they're almost, almost at a point where all of the guards are down and it, and it doesn't quite materialize. 
Um, it can't because there's because the rest of Harry's world tumbles into it. We get um, we get uh, uh, Kelly uh, infecting him with her with her vampire spit, and all of a sudden he is hormonally out of control mm-hmm. and just wanting to give into those kinds of things and and struggles. We have Justine um, that he notices and he can't help but notice all of all of the or all the little that she's wearing and what it does and all of the other vampires, especially the female vampires, especially Bianca. Jim Butcher did a wonderful job of portraying the contrast between lust and love and what it does to power because Charity and Michael have love. And when Michael needs it most and when Charity needs it most, they cling to that love. When um, you remember that Bob has a moment where he's saying, I think it's Bob. uh, It might be somebody else that was talking to Harry about the fact that his house doesn't have a threshold like the Malones did because it was a house that was built with love and that kind of power is something that is difficult to defeat. And then we see Susan lost her memory, barely human, about ready to be give into all of the things that will unmake her as a human being and kill Harry. And he says, I love you. And that snaps her out of it. It brings back her memories. It brings her back to being almost human. And that, and not only does it stop her in her tracks, but when Harry comes face to face with Bianca at the end of the book, and she said, and she says, "Will you risk war for one person?" And he said, "Yes, I love her." And Bianca looked like she had been shot. At least that's the impression that I got that she was stopped in her tracks. Yeah vampires all of the all of these all of these beings of darkness trade on lust they trade on the imitation the peace that doesn't that has power but it has power from a dark place and when confronted with love that has power from a bright place that has the power of life connected behind it they cannot hold a candle to it they can't fight against it and i don't i really believe that part of his intention for this book was to thread that together and to and to show that there are these two halves of this coin and if you trade only in the one half if you trade always in the one half you will always be dealing with an imitation that you will never really have the power that comes from that you will never really have the power that can save lives and save a soul that comes from the power of love I'm impressed. Me too. That you could actually I have nothing to say to that. Yeah, that you could actually pull that much out of and I and not only did you pull it all out of that, I can I can see what you're saying in in what we read. I can it absolutely make sense. I'm like, "Wow, that's that's pretty good, Todd." If he didn't mean that, then it's my fault for finding it. <laughs> <laughs> well, if he did mean that, then it's my fault for not noticing. Well. Well, and if he if he didn't mean it, but he put it in there anyway, then Good on him. What yeah. a good writer. It, it, it really, for me, um, I, I look for the, I look for the level three. Um, as anybody who's listened to this podcast for any period of time knows, uh, I'm always looking for the level three and, yeah. and, and that's why I read. 
Um, that's why I that's why I engage the humanities um, is because I am looking for things that can help make me a better human being. And when I read that, um, it made me and has made me over the last several several days, better part of a week, much more aware of what that means to my wife and my relationship and our family and also what it means in the lives of the people around me. It's been just a really, for me at least, um, it's, it's been a little bit of a, of a, uh, an awakening, yeah. um, not a new awakening. Uh, we've been married. Still. My wife and I have been married for almost 29 years. What year is it? 28 years. Jeez. We've been married a long time. Yeah. We're old people. Um, oh, but, uh, while I admire your, your, uh, <laughs> sensitive, you know, introspection, can I, can I bring it back down? Uh, I was going to say, well, you know, in, that's, in the, that's in good, few but, minutes we have left, but here. let's, let's, let's talk about final thoughts. What, what, what are our last uh, things that we want to think about as we walk away from this? I want to know what, uh, I, I want to know where you put these characters on the alignment scale. Cause I just think it's fun. You know, the alignment scale, the no. dungeons and dragons. Okay, let's, lawful, let's do it. Neutral, let's, yeah. Not, let's make it easy. Lawful, neutral, chaotic on the one side. That's, that's how reliable you are to, um, to, uh, help me uh, to other individuals to, to beliefs to, and, and do you have a lawful lawful means that you've got an organized set of beliefs okay chaotic and, and that you hold yourself to them neutral means that you recognize that they may exist but you're going to do whatever works in the moment and okay. chaotic means you do whatever works to cause chaos and just be fun for you not yeah, necessarily it, because it accomplishes things but because it's just your way of messing with the universe and I mean, then you've yeah. got good and evil okay so you've you got good neutral that. and evil on the other side and good is obviously doing right by others and neutral is, you know, depending on your mood or depending on the situation, you could do what good or you could do bad. Evil is just, it's evil. You know? Okay. I've, I've seen memes with these sort of. Yeah. So, so lawful good on the upper left-hand corner to chaotic evil on the bottom right-hand corner, basically. And you have a nine, a nine box grid. Who are the people that we want to talk about? Well, obviously so Michael Michael's is lawful good. lawful good. He has lawful to be good. because all paladins have to, by nature, be lawful good. <laughs> lawful good. That's that's in in every story that includes a a righteous knight of some kind has to be lawful good. It's, it's one of the it's one of the foundational points of the paladin as a as a character. So he has to be lawful good. Uh, Harry. I'm interested, Megan. I'm interested to think. See what you think, Megan. I've already forgotten all of the options. He is a uh, gonna go with a nope. So it's lawful, he's neutral, a, or chaotic on the top. He's or... a he's a good. I don't know. He's kind of no, he's not a chaotic. I don't know. A good neutral. See, and I would put him as lawful neutral. Okay. Because he because he believes very much in the in the sure. system. And that he tries to hold himself accountable to his system, right? Uh, which is which is basically the system of magic. But it's all about neutral. It's all about getting the getting the outcomes that he's looking for. This is why I like having this discussion because I would put him as chaotic good. As he oh. wants he wants to do what is right. He wants the outcome to be right for as many parties as possible. But there's no telling how he's going to get there. It's, okay. okay, you know he he might burn down a house and start a war. He might. You save a little kid, you know, he might, he might, he might even save a vampire to destroy more vampires. You don't know. He, he's, 
He's okay. all over the map. I'll buy that. So, I'll buy that. Uh, that's where I would put him. Chaotic good. Uh, Susan, I would say, is neutral good. Yeah. Because she's, she's, by and large, a good person, but her her means can swing. Yeah, and I'd put, yeah. I'd put, I would put her solidly as, an, as neutral neutral. I mean, she's okay. just... Yeah. She's just for herself, and, and that's all she's looking for. See, so. I like that. I like it. Um, I don't know. How about Murphy? Ooh. Murphy's lawful good. I think so too. Based on based yeah. on the vision that he had of her in the never er, in the sight. Yeah. I think she's lawful good. I don't think I don't think lawful good means you're always, you know, nice and and sweet and all those kinds of things. It again, the idea, are you doing good or are you are are you trying to make the world better or are you trying to make the world just full of chaos or are you just out for yourself? Um if that's what we use for good, uh chaotic and or good evil and neutral then i think she's very obviously good yeah and then if it's about holding to a standard of behavior um if lawful is holding to standard behavior chaotic is doesn't matter what you do you're going to do whatever you're going to do whatever you whatever you want and neutral is kind of like yeah well you know sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't then i think she's very much a lawful good well yeah evidenced by the fact that she tried to arrest harry how many times how many times in the first two books (laughs) so um, I just got, well, four more, but the two are together. Um, Bianca and Mavra, clearly chaotic evil. Yeah. Yes. I mean, you, you don't know where they're going and yes. everything leads toward more destruction and more power for them. Uh, Thomas. He's like a chaotic neutral. I think so. Chaotic neutral. That's, I would go for I think so. I would and, go for that. And, yeah. and one of my favorites, Charity. Oh my word. If you're, if you're married to a paladin, you got to be lawful good. No. And. I say she's like chaotic. No, lawful chaotic is there are two different. You can't things. be lawful chaotic. Yeah. I know. No, but you could. I be, don't know. You could be neutral good. You could. I'm not sure she's neutral good, but but uh, but she I, she could actually be chaotic good. That's yeah. That's I, I'd lean towards that. I would because I could see in, that in all my experiences with mothers. I can. I, I know some mothers that have done some stuff that I've said to myself, "Are you serious?" And yet that happens. So she, she'll hold. She'll hold to her beliefs, unless. Hey, it, but when it comes to the safety of my kids, all bets are off. I that's mean, right. to be yeah, fair, right. she does let her child be named Harry Carpenter, so that's very sad. <laughs> oh, Got a question goodness. her motherhood there. Oh my goodness, that was so awesome. Oh, that was, man. <laughs> and, and in fact, the scene in the book where they're talking about that, I can just. We had a we had a situation in my neighborhood where uh, a, a husband and wife decided on the name of a child, and when the time came to announce that name, the husband switched it. And boy, did we I've heard have that. Some, I've heard of that happening. We had some we had some words in that neighborhood for quite some time afterwards. <laughs> it's bad. Um, any other last thoughts, Megan? Last thoughts from you? Um, I just keep going back to the whole idea of the nightmare using Harry's face to lure in his friends or to get in um, close to the people that matter a lot to Harry and then Harry being confronted with that and knowing that um, he was part of their downfall. He was part of the reason why they got hurt and how he has to live with that, even though like he didn't have any control over it. I think about, you know, it's in I'm, I have weird experiences in dreams where sometimes I'm lucid and sometimes I'm not, but some of the things that I do in dreams or that happen in dreams, I would be horrified if that if I had let that happen to people around me or if I had actually done those things to people around me. Yeah. Um, I had a dream while reading this book that I was a vampire and ate a guy's hand because I was mad he wasn't taking me seriously. 
So all right, there you go. Um, but Megan, at the same we time, take you seriously. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah. Now that I told you that, do uh-huh. not stand Megan. Now up. that you know. Now that we know. You don't know if I'm a vampire. <laughs> I won't tell you. Um, Good to know. But like the uh, the idea that I mean, you're not safe in dreams is just such a horrifying idea because we're we dream so often and yet we don't have a lot of control of our dreams. Sure. Ken, final thought. I just want to read this one passage from chapter two when they were fighting the ghost of Agatha Hagglethorn over the babies. I and can remember her name. I can't remember. It's a Ken's terrible last name. name. It's a great. Her parents name. are also terrible. It's parents. a great and terrible name. Yeah. But she's from like the 1800s. So uh, the gentle singing droned on and I found myself reaching for the fallen chair with the intention of setting it upright so that I would have a comfortable place to sit down for a little rest. I froze and had to remind myself that I would be an idiot to sit down behind or beneath the influence of the unearthly song, even for a few moments, subtle magic and strong, even knowing what to expect. I had barely sensed its touch in time. Like just little points that he mm-hmm. throws in there once in a while and he throws them in subtly to show not tell how subtly the magic can affect these characters and i i loved it because he's he's going along and he's narrating in his own mind i'm going after him go oh the chair knocked over i better set it up so i can sit down because this music is, wait, wait 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 yeah it, it's narration like that 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 makes these books fun and i love it awesome they don't, they don't have to be highbrow poetry like Patrick Rothfuss. They can just be fun <laughs> and still find meaning in them as we evidence tonight. So, All right. Great. All right. Well, um, I think that does it for uh, Grave Peril. Um, I hope that uh, all of you that are listening to the podcast enjoyed the book and enjoyed what we've given you uh, to think about in context, in context of the book. Uh, we certainly have enjoyed doing this as well. So... <laughs> Stay with us next time. Next time, uh, Red Team is going to be talking about the the end of the Robin Hobbs saga that they've been dealing with. Farseer trilogy and Assassin's uh, Quest. Hopefully, it's going to be all good news. I'm sure. In the meantime, uh, we'll see you next time. <laughs>